give us the illustration of heaven and hell. Hell's out there, heaven's in here, so you make your decision where you want to be. Um, for those of you visiting, I'm just kidding about that. That's, that's not actually how God works. But uh, it is very hot out there, so we're glad that you chose to, to be in here. Uh, hopefully the air conditioning is, is a nice kind of relief from the heat and uh, you're able to enjoy Sorry, excuse me, uh, your time of worship with us this morning. Kids, in case you don't know, you're dismissed to go downstairs for Sunday school so you can make your way out and, uh, and enjoy that time downstairs with my wife, Tara, who's going to be teaching this morning. So, Hey, uh, also, one other thing, I just have to apologize on the front end of our time in God's Word. If I seem a little bit off, it's because someone handed me a baby this morning just before I came up here for, for worship. James and uh, uh, Leisha Elliott came here with Sarah, their newborn daughter, this morning, and... Uh, we certainly offer them our congratulations. She is adorable. Um, and so uh, we love you guys. We're proud of you and, and uh, excited for how God is going to expand your family through this blessing of an addition. Hey, uh, this summer, we've been exploring the Psalms together, right? And it's kind of a different uh, book to kind of spend uh, preaching on, teaching on, uh, and thinking about how we're interacting with. Because it's more, uh, more uh, uh, transparently a, a book that we can interact with in, in ways of beyond just like this mental learning, this mental ascent to the knowledge that we're learning in the, in the Psalms. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a literature that we can build into our lives, into the practice of how we live our daily lives. And so... I just want to remind you as we, as we come into our text this morning that, that the Psalms are, are not just a place where we learn about who God is, but we learn a little bit about ourselves as well. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Psalms, Prayers of the Heart, says this, that, that people look into mirrors to see how they look, right? We get up in the morning, we take a look in the mirror, we, we, we brush our hair if you have hair, you brush your teeth, you... <laughs> brush your beard if you don't have hair uh, on top of your head. But, but when people look into the Psalms, they, they look into the Psalms to find out who they are, right? That, that the Psalms, in, in a sense, are a way of giving shape to who we are as people. A mirror is an excellent way to learn about our appearance, Peterson says. The Psalms are the biblical way to discover ourselves. The Psalms show us the, the shape of our souls and the curve of our sin, realities deep within us, hidden and obscured, for which we need focus and names. You look to different things in this world to kind of tell you who you are, but there's no better text to reveal the very depth of your soul than the Psalms, right? The psalmists cry out in anguish. They, they articulate our fear, our angers, our sadness. They, they, they give words to, to the lamenting that we have to do. They also give words of praise and thanksgiving when, when there are reasons for us to praise and thank God. The, the Psalms give us a clarity around the shape of our souls, the, the depths of our beings. And so if, this morning, I want to encourage us as we continue to look at the Psalms to understand the Psalms in light of, of, of who God is, but also of who he's made us to be. Now, if I stand here this morning and tell you who you are, tell you something about who you are as a human being, I'm really just a motivational speaker, right? I'm speaking out of wisdom that maybe I've gleaned from this world, which isn't very much. But, but if I speak to you, if I proclaim, if I hold up the word of God and point to the word of God, well, then we let his eternal truth wash over us, give us clarity around the depths of who we are, and give us insight into who he's created us to be. So this morning, I want to encourage us. 
When we read Psalm 32 together, because that's where we're going to be, feel free to open your Bibles to Psalm 32. When we read through Psalm 32, read it in essence as if it's giving light and clarity to the depth of your soul. That it's putting language around the, the, the shape of your soul deep within. All right, let me read for us from Psalm 32. David says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they, will not reach, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Father, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, we know that this is uh, your eternal truth. You have spoken and proclaimed not only who you are, but what you've created, the promises you've made. Lord, give us ears to hear that this morning. Give us minds to understand what you have said. Give us hearts to embrace it and to live it out and the courage to be faithful to you in response to your word this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to encourage us to look at Psalm 32 as a psalm of thanksgiving, because that's what it is. There, there's question as to how David has crafted the psalm, but ultimately, it's a psalm where he comes full circle and gives thanks to God for what God has done. More clearly and more specifically, this is a, a personal testimony of David according to what God has done in his life, in granting him forgiveness where David felt he didn't deserve forgiveness. We, we talked this morning, actually, in, in the class downstairs at 8.30. Again, if you, if you haven't come, you should consider coming at 8.30. It was, it was a great time considering what our personal testimony is and, and how God uses it and, and what benefits we glean from sharing our, our story, our testimony with others. David is sharing his testimony with us this morning. He, he's, he's kind of letting us look through this window into his soul to see how, how, how God has been at work in his life how God has been moving in his life, how God has met him in his place of despair and sin, and God has forgiven him graciously and abundantly. And David invites us to, to come along, to, to take a, a look at, at what's going on in his life. Think, think about this for a moment. What does a personal testimony do? I mean, I know uh, Pastor Dave, myself, we've preached many sermons from up here, but the, the but the thing that seems to, to remain with people is when they hear the testimony of others giving voice to what God has done and is doing in their lives, right? You remember when people share their, te their personal testimony. Why? Because it encourages us, right? We're, we're encouraged to know that God is working in someone else's life like that. And if, if God's doing that in their life, then, then man, I've got hope that he's going to do it in my life too, 
right? Or, or it gives us encouragement to know that, that, that I'm not so far gone. If God can do a work in that person's life, he can certainly do a work in mine. And, and you know what? It's evidence that says God wants to do a work in the life of his people. Personal testimonies are powerful. They give us hope. And Psalm 32 is a, a personal testimony of David. Listen to what David says in the first two verses again. Let me read him for us. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You want to find happiness? I know we're all looking for happiness. We all want relief from discomfort. We, we all want to find joy and, and, and happiness. If anyone says they're not looking to be happy, they're lying. We all want happiness. If you want to find happiness, it's found in the, the, the place of freedom of forgiveness, where we experience, truly experience the, the depth and the reality of being forgiven, right? The psalm deals with sin, yes. David, David talks about the effects, the impact, the, the, the challenge of sin in our lives, but it also deals with forgiveness. That's where David leads us. That's where his testimony gives voice to. He acknowledges what sin has done in his life, but he also acknowledges what God can do in, in bringing him to this place of forgiveness and the joy that that brings as a result. So David's emphasis certainly is on forgiveness, but, but you can't get to forgiveness until you've discussed sin, right? We can't get to the, the, the result unless we deal with the reason why we're here talking about forgiveness, right? Which is Sin. In the first two verses of our passage, David actually uses three different words for sin. He uses uh, a sin. He actually calls it sin. He calls it iniquity, and he refers to it as transgressions. Now, now, each of these words in Hebrew has a little bit of a nuanced difference, right? I mean, some people will define sin as, as missing the mark. That's the, the archery term for sin. When you shoot an arrow at a target and it misses the mark, that's called sinning, right? So, so there's a sense that, that there's a standard that we live up to, but we're missing that standard. Well, others, uh, will, when they talk about uh, transgression, it, it's kind of a way of, uh, of rebellion, kind of going against what God has said. It's not, it's not missing the mark. It's not, not living up to a standard. It's choosing to go a different path, right? Um, iniquity is kind of a combination of both words. The point, I think, that David is making here is that, that no sin is too great. No, no amount of sin uh, leads you to being so far away from God that he cannot forgive you. David's point in talking about sin in, in this varied way is, a, is to make a point to us, to waken us up a little bit to the fact that, that no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you recognize in your own life, which none of us like acknowledging or talking about, no matter what sin might be hiding in any corner of your life, it's not so much or so great that God cannot meet you in that place and forgive you. And this is what David's testimony is telling us this morning. By including all these words in the opening to his Thanksgiving psalm, Dave, David is telling us, hey, no sin is too great that, that you would be so far from God that he cannot reach out and, and claim you as his own and claim you as his child. See, whether we sin by commission, whether we break God's law, when we, when we break what God is saying as, as right and wrong, uh, or, or we sin by omission, we, we sin by, by actually not living up to God's standard, not doing what he's asked us to do, not being faithful to, to obey him. Whether we sin either way, neither way is too great for us to be considered an object of God's love. And so the question we got to start with this morning is, do you believe that? 
right? Do you, do you believe that, that God loves you so much that, that he is willing to look beyond, past, not, not ignore, but look through and beyond whatever sin might be in your life? <laughs> I get it. This is an uncomfortable topic because many of us are sitting like, yeah, of course he does, but, but we don't like thinking about what sin might be in our lives, right? We don't like considering that, 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 that there is actually something that is offensive to God hiding somewhere in our lives. Or if we do, we don't, certainly don't like to talk to other people about it. Now, I'm, I'm not a mind reader. I'm not someone who can, who can tell you all the things that are going on in your life just by looking at you. But, but I am confident that I can tell you one thing, that you're hiding from God. That, that, there is, that you will say yes to God, but there's, a, there's an aspect, there's a corner, there's a part of your life that you are trying to keep hidden from God and from other people. I am confident because I think that that's actually part of our human nature, right? The, the sinful part of our human nature, that we have a tendency to hide those parts of our lives that we are ashamed of, feel guilt from, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, when they ate from the fruit of the tree that they were told not to eat, what did they do? They hid, right? And God comes looking for them, and, and they're hiding behind the bushes. They throw some leaves on. They, they hide behind a the bush. They're, they're covering up. They're trying to hide from the guilt and the shame that they're, that they're feeling, that they're experiencing in their relationship with God. And if we're hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve hid from God, which I believe we do, then we're also lying to ourselves. We're not just lying to God. We're, we're lying to our, ourselves, much like Adam was. You know that uh, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, after they hid, after God came looking for them, Adam doubled down on his sin. He's like, you know what? I, I'm, I've gone too far. I'm not turning back. I'm, gonna, I'm going all in on this sin, right? And, and what does he say to God? He, 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 he doubles down on, on his sin and lies to God. And in fact, I think he's really lying to himself, right? Listen to how Adam responds to God in the garden when, when God asks him about the fruit. He says this in Genesis 3. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? The man, Adam, said this. He said, well, wait a minute. The woman you gave to me, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and then I ate, right? See, I don't think Adam's being honest with the situation right here. And not only that, I think he actually believes that, that this is good, like that, that this is right, that he's walking down a path of logic that makes somehow sense to him, right? I don't think he's being truthful. See, but David's testimony, David's testimony tells us that those who are happy are those in whom there is no deceit, right? They, they've abandoned their path of, of lies and sin. They've said, you know what? I'm not going to keep this hidden anymore. It's doing me no good. Happy, blessed is the one in whom there is no deceit. It's not talking about not lying to God. He's talking about not lying to ourselves, right? Because the, the first thing we need to do is to be honest with ourselves, to stop lying to ourselves and pretend that there is not sin in us. Yeah, I know it. I get it. We love to quote the passage of the Bible where it talks about uh, that, the fact that we're all sinners. But when you start to go through a list of specific sins, no one wants to claim those, Right? I'll say that we're all sinners, but I don't want to talk about losing my cool and dealing with anger, right? I don't want to talk about lying. Don't even get me started on sexual sin. I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not going to even, I'm not even going to go there, right? We're not going to, no one wants to admit that, right? We lie to ourselves. 
We're no different than Adam. But David says, wait a minute, let me testify of something here. Because I, I get it, this is a scary thing. Blessed is the man in whom there is no deceit. Or maybe you disagree with me this morning. Maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, Dan, I get it, we're all sinners, but I don't think we really all lie to ourselves. Maybe just those people who are really bad sinners, right? Take a look at our social media pages, right? It's, it's in our human nature in a sense, right? You look at the posts we put online, and I'm not faulting anyone, by the way, for the posts we put online, but what I am saying is that the posts we put online aren't exactly accurate to what our lives really look like, right? I mean, we like to take snapshots of moments in our lives, but that's all it is. It's a moment in our lives. It's not the fullness of what our daily lives look like. It doesn't capture our anguish, our pain, our loneliness, our sadness, it doesn't capture our anger, our frustration, our disappointment. It, it captures the highest of high moments in our day, the moments we find most beautiful. And it's a great tool for that. But oftentimes we interpret it as being a picture of what our lives look like or what someone else's life looks like. See, I, I, I think that, that, that we, we can build this lie of what, what our world looks like uh, in, in our social media pages. And I think this is absolutely true in our spiritual lives right? We can show up on Sunday morning and, and, and give kind of like this Instagram photo of, of what our walk with Christ looks like. But in the reality, we're not lying to people out there. We're really lying to ourselves. We're not being truthful with what's going on inside of me, what, what sort of things are actually happening. I, I begin to believe the lie that the picture I post on Sunday morning is the true picture of what my heart and soul looks like before God. We are, we're like the Pharisees that Jesus called out as being these whitewashed tombs that, that look beautiful and clean and nice on the outside, but inside are filled with death. Think about that. Tombs don't have beautiful roses or, or elegant feasts inside of them. They've got dead bodies inside of them, right? That's what our lives, when we believe this lie that, that, that sin is a reality in this world, but it's a reality out there, but it's not in here, we are these whitewashed tombs that are, that are filled with dead and decomposing bodies, Listen to how David testifies of, of his own personal sin. In verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David's testimony, his personal experience with sin is not a good thing, right? He's not depicting a joy-filled, joyous moment in his life or, or, or season of his life. He's actually, he's crying out saying, listen, I have experienced some, some painful times. And I'm responsible for those painful times. He, he describes it as being a time when his strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Yesterday, today, those are hot days. I'm pretty sure we understand what, he's, what the picture he's drawing here. When we've sweat so much that we can't sweat anymore and we're dry, right? When we're exhausted, when, when we get to the end of the day and you just feel like you want to lay down on the couch and go to sleep and it's still six, only 6 o'clock in the evening, you understand what David's saying here, that, that his experience of his sin, that, that the weight of his sin has been so much that it actually has paid a physical toll on his body. 
See, the more that David believed the lie that he told himself, the more his body wasted away. And, and, and that's what we need to understand. It is, it is, sin is not just, I think we, we sometimes think this, but sin is not just something that impacts our minds and sometimes our hearts. Sin impacts the entirety of who we are. A, a simple, and this is only a small example. Think about what happens. Think about what happens when you get angry, right? When you let anger take over, think about it in context of maybe your marriage or, or your relationship with your kids. You, you have an argument, right? But that argument doesn't end when the two of you walk in different directions. You tend to dwell on it, right? It begins to fester inside you. It eats at you from the inside out. You start, you're consumed by the thoughts about when that person said that or, man, if only I'd thought of that comeback when we were talking 15 minutes ago, right? But it doesn't stay there. It goes with you into the evening. You're laying on your bed at night, and this is maybe this is a really bad fight, but you, you begin to lose sleep over it. You wake up in the middle of the night, and maybe you feel regret. Maybe you feel remorse for what you said or did, and you're having a hard time sleeping because you feel really bad, right? What happens when you don't get sleep? Your body pays a toll for that, right? So, so what, I, what I'm trying to say, and this is a simple, small example, that what happens spiritually impacts our physical lives as well. We can't compartmentalize, compartmentalize our lives to uh, our thoughts over here, our feelings over there, our physical lives over here. They're all combined into one. And sin has a very real impact on the fullness of our lives. It does impact our health and our strength. A theologian by the name of Cornelius Plantinga describes sin as, as this. He says, sin is a cancer. It's both fruitful and fatal. Cancer is something that begins as a small thing in our bodies, and as it grows, as it's fruitful and gets larger and greater and bigger, it destroys your body, right? This is how sin works in our souls, it starts as something small like a cancer that grows and gets larger and larger and larger. Left unaddressed, it begins to destroy you from the inside out. Yeah, sin is a violation of God's law. When we talk about sin in the Bible, it's a, it's a violation of God's law. Get it. But even more so, it's a violation of God's way of life. His, his peace, his shalom that he established in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they broke that peace, that was destroyed until Christ came, until Christ died on the cross. It made a way that that peace could be a reality for you and I, that we could experience forgiveness, the peace of God in our lives as well. Yes, sin is a, a cancer, but it's a cancer that doesn't just destroy our lives. It destroys the way of life that God invites us into, to experience in a relationship with him. Which is why David makes it a point to testify of the moment where God began to do a work of healing in him, right? The, the moment when, when God began to, to heal David's life. This is why it's important that we understand that this is a testimony that David's giving as if he's standing up here talking with us this morning giving voice to the, the healing that he's experienced in God through acknowledging his sin. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave 
the iniquity of my sin, right? It, blessed is he in whom there is no deceit. David got to that point where he realized, I, I've got I've to acknowledge this. I've got to give voice to this. I've got to, got to point to the fact that hidden inside me is a sin that's very real that I need to acknowledge before God. So David's healing begins at that point of acknowledging the truth. He, he stops lying to himself and to others and acknowledge the truth, acknowledge his sin. He can't explain it away. He can't say, I'm sorry, I was tired, or I was hungry, or I was really looking forward to what I was going to be doing next. He owns it. He says, I've got to acknowledge it. It's sin. Our healing begins when we acknowledge our role in walking away from God, from, from turning away from him and living a life apart from God. You can see this most clearly in the story Jesus told in, in Luke 15. It's a, it's a story we've talked about from time to time. I think it's, one, it's a pivotal story for me in the gospel of Jesus. It's a story that Jesus actually tells to illustrate what the gospel is. It's the story of the prodigal son. You know, it's a story in which a young man very pridefully and selfishly goes to his father while his father's still alive and says, Hey, Dad, give me my inheritance now while I'm still alive. I, I, I want to use, I want to I, I enjoy this inheritance now. I think I can do that. I want to do that. So the father graciously allows him to have his inheritance. The, the young man goes off and, and he spends that inheritance on foolish living. He wastes it, right? And, and the way the story goes, we're told that he wastes it and it's gone and, and, and we find him in a desperate place of need where he's now, uh, he took up a job with a, a pig farmer and he's got a job now of, of feeding the pigs, right? And, and not only that, but now he's envious of the pigs. He's envious of what the pigs are eating. And he has this moment of realization. L- listen, listen to that moment where, like David, this young man acknowledges the reality of a situation, the reality of a sin. In Luke 15, uh, we pick up in verse 17. But when he came to himself, and there it is, when he came to himself... He said, how many are, my, are the father's hired servants? Uh, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. See, for this man, it, it, it's that moment when he comes to himself. It, it, it may be for us that says, uh, when Dan came to himself and realized he was too harsh with his children. Right? When, when, when Dan came to himself and realized he wasn't exactly honest with that person when they asked him what he was doing, right? It, it's, it's a moment where we acknowledge that there is sin within our lives and it's doing us no good to pretend that that's not true. And when we acknowledge, when we come to ourselves and acknowledge that God's way, God's plan, God's path is perfect and far better than we could ever make for ourselves. And so when the son comes to his senses, he realizes his sin. He doesn't try to explain it away. He doesn't doesn't say, well, there was a really sweet deal at Best Buy that I was going to go spend money on, so how could you pass up that sale, right? He doesn't try to explain it away. He just comes to the Father and says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And after he acknowledges his sin, 
The son moves to repentance. He literally turns from his life, right? He leaves the pigs in the field. He leaves the, the, the lavish living that he'd been doing, and he turns to go back to the father. But this is what I love about God's forgiveness, right? This is why I love this story so much that Jesus chose to tell. Because listen what happens next in the story. As the young man, uh, he, the young man arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him, right? The man's still walking home. He's, he's got a plan to apologize. He's got a plan to say, I'm sorry, dad. But before he can even do that, the dad has been busy watching out for him, waiting for him to return. Do you realize that your heavenly father is waiting for you to come to your senses, to come to yourself and acknowledge that there is sin that's reality inside your own life, He's waiting for you, not to cast judgment on you, not to condemn you, but that he might run to you, feel compassion, embrace you, and kiss you, to take hold of you, to clothe you, to give you of his inheritance, again, to set a feast to celebrate with you. This is what's so beautiful about God's forgiveness that David testifies to. He, he acknowledged his sin he repented, he turned back to God, and he was met with God's forgiveness. See, acknowledging and uncovering and confessing our sin as David did, it begins the process. It's not the whole process of just saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I do that too. I'm, I'm, uh, that's in my life too. I'm good with that. That's just the beginning of the process. And it starts with uncovering and acknowledging that we've tried to, what we've tried to keep hidden in our lives. There's a guy, a pastor during uh, uh, the time when the Nazis ruled, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor that kind of fought against the Nazis, and, and, and uh, it's an amazing story, actually. But one of the things he did, he, he actually started a seminary for young pastors, and, and he uh, spent time talking about community and, and confession and just the value of actually confessing to one another uh, our sins. Not necessarily to everyone, but like to have that faithful and trusted person you can confess your sins to, uh, and, and, and that they would be kind of a, a um, partner in the journey of bringing our sins before the Lord, right? He says this about sin. He says, in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and, and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. And that's what, light is good, right? It's not bad. We're afraid to bring our sin out into the light. But the reality is the light is good because what it does in the light, we can deal with it then. It can, we can, God deals with it then as it's brought out into the light. And then it's taken, it's removed from us as far as the east is from the west. See, I, I, I recently power washed the side of the house for, and, and man, that's, that's fun actually. It's fun to use a power washer. It's satisfying. If you have OCD or something like that, it's, it's actually satisfying to see those different lines like clear away and then you have this clean side of the house. Anyway, what I realized is I can't do that at night in the dark. I can't see where the dirt is. I, I can't see what I've gotten, what I haven't gotten. I can't see if I've gotten enough off or if it's still there a little bit and I have to keep spraying it. You need to power wash in the light so you can see where it's dirty and what needs to be cleaned. See, David teaches us not only to stop lying about ourselves and about the sin that's a reality in our, our lives, he teaches us to acknowledge that sin, to bring it out into the light. And that's the beginning of our healing process. 
Lastly, David reminds us of a promise from God. It's in Psalm 32, verses 8 through 9. God says this to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. See, returning to the Lord in repentance is not the description of something we've done in the past, like, oh, I said sorry for that already, right? This repentance, this is a continual description of a lifestyle, of living in fellowship with God. It's this relationship, the fellowship we have with God where he teaches us, he instructs us, he counsels us with his eye upon you, which is a way of saying like with his care, that he's caring for us, guarding us, protecting us, giving us the life that he has for us. This is a relationship where God doesn't have to drag us along. We don't live in this relationship by obligation, but because it's our choice, our joy, our, our, our blessing to live in relationship with God in this way. See, forgiveness in the Lord welcomes us into a fellowship with God where, where he's intimately involved in our lives, where we aren't these stubborn people who, who can, will only obey him if he if he has to drag our mouths in that direction like a bit or a bridle. We joyfully, willingly follow him in obedience because we know this is life. We, we come to our senses like that young man did in the story that Jesus told where we realize life is so much better with God than apart from him. We're trusting children who we can proclaim the last couple of verses in this psalm together with David. Verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May we be like David. May we be like David who was able to acknowledge his sin, to then taste and see that as he comes back to the Father in repentance, he's met with grace, forgiveness, love. He's not met with rejection, but but steadfast love and kindness. And so he has reason to rejoice. See, sin violates God's way of peace. But David's testimony reminds us that, that God's restoring that peace, that his plan for this world is, is to restore the peace of the garden through Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we can proclaim the truth of, of the scriptures that say that, that, he who, uh, that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. Jesus offers us that forgiveness as we trust in him. David's testimony reminds me of the testimony of one other man. His name is Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. He was, he was on staff with um, President Nixon before the Watergate scandal. Uh, in fact, he played a, a, an integral role in the Watergate scandal and was uh, imprisoned for it. But, but Chuck was considered the evil genius of Nixon's administration. He, he was once quoted as, as saying that he would gladly walk over his grandmother to get the president elected to a second term. He, he, was, he was one who, who kind of, um, he was the hatchet man for Nixon. He, he did all the dirty deeds for the president, right? But he had been uh, convicted of obstruction of justice and was sent to jail after his uh, role in the Watergate scandal. And, and his world was falling apart. 
right? He, he didn't feel so strong and, and protected anymore. And so he went to visit his friend who uh, was the president of Raytheon in Massachusetts. And so he went up to his friend's house in Massachusetts, and, and his friend was a believer. And so his friend sat down with him in the living room and kind of let him talk for a while and listen to him. And, and after a while, he, he, he started talking to him about the reality of the things that Chuck had done, the, the, the sin, the lies, the deceit, the, the evil, the anger, all those ways where, where Chuck had, had broken the, the justice that he had proclaimed to, or set out to, to uphold and, and to live out for the country. And, and as, he, as the friend kind of walked Chuck through the, the, the time of reflecting on his own actions and realizing his own sin, they spent time reading in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. They looked at scripture together. They spent time, uh, and his friend prayed for, for Chuck. And as, as Chuck left the house, he, he tells this story, in, in, or there's this story told in his biography, where when he got out of the house, he wept, right? And he goes like this. He said, Chuck stopped the car. He was driving along. He stopped the car, and he cried hard. It felt like water was washing over him. And then he felt something sudden and strange, relief and a desire to, to surrender. Chuck cried out to the Lord, take me, take me, take me. See, I think that the strange feeling that he was crying out in that, or that he was experiencing and crying out in the car was that experience of, of coming to himself, of acknowledging his sin, but sensing God's invitation to come home. To, 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 to sense that God is inviting him to, to come home through repentance, to walk with him in peace again, and to experience joy as a result of that. We're told if you followed anything of Chuck's life, he did go to prison for a while. And, and through his time, he, he praises God and thanks God for prison. Because in prison, he understood not only more about his relationship with God through Christ, he also understood something about his calling. He spent many years developing a ministry to, to inmates in prison, sharing the gospel with them and allowing God to transform lives. See, I think that, that, that that's a beautiful picture of what it means to, to stop lying to yourself, to acknowledge your sin, and to live in the gift of God's forgiveness through Christ. So Trinity, let's stop lying to ourselves about sin. Let's acknowledge our sin and repent before God. And then let's rejoice and be glad in the fellowship that he offers us through Jesus Christ. Let me just read this one verse from James 5.16 to close our time. James encourages us with this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Understand that we are called as followers of Christ to confess. Yes, confess to God, but maybe there's someone in your life that you can trust to confess your sins to. That you will be able to offer them this joy that they can experience in the Lord as you help facilitate them confessing their sins to the Lord. And maybe that's a joy that you can experience as well as you confess your sins before the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to, uh, to sit before your word. Lord, we thank you for David and for his willingness to give testimony to the joy of, that he's experienced in the forgiveness that God offers us. 
Father, we pray that your forgiveness would wash over us as we come before you, as we, uh, as we acknowledge the sin in our lives, and as we come before you in repentance. Lord, give us eyes to see that sin, to understand the sin that is a reality in our own lives. Give us the boldness and the courage to stop lying to ourselves about that sin. Lord, give us the, the humility to be shaped by your Holy Spirit doing that work in us, to, to, to bring us to freedom from that sin and the joy we have in Christ as a result. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.